I think that this played a very instrumental role for the next 25 years of my life is the fact that I found something that my dad was keeping as a secret. Found it that he was keeping it from us, right? He hid this from my mom. He hid this from us. What this taught a young boy is it's okay to have secrets in your life. It's okay to have part of your life that you do not share with other people. Yeah, I, you know, carried that with me, you know, through high school. And it was around 15, 16 years old when we got the internet for the first time. So was it really a, a massive struggle for me as a boy? No, because I didn't really have access to it. But the minute we got the internet, it was like, okay, are there naked pictures on the internet? And this is like the dial-up days, man. I remember it almost vividly. I mean, within an hour of having a computer in my bedroom, like I was pulling up, you know, I was in chat rooms and I was swapping photos with people. I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and today's guest is Frank Rich. Frank is a former bodybuilder, he's an entrepreneur, he's a men's health coach, and host of the Superhuman Life podcast. After living with and battling porn addiction, depression, and anxiety for almost 20 years, he is now on a mission to help men who are suffering with many of the same issues take back control of their lives through the power of faith and fitness. Frank has helped thousands of men transform their physiques through his online coaching platform, and he is also the founder and CEO of Rebuilt Recovery, a company based on a growth-centric, holistic approach to addiction recovery. Rebuilt Recovery provides fitness training for men going through recovery, as well as one-to-one -one coaching for men aiming to break free from porn addiction. Let's face it, there are a lot of people that struggle with porn addiction. Many are open about it, and many struggle in silence. So be sure to listen closely to this episode as Frank shares his amazing story of how he overcame porn addiction and also provides steps that someone can take towards a path of recovery if they are caught in the midst of this painful battle. So let's get this conversation going and welcome Frank Rich to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Frank Rich, welcome to the podcast. Doug, my brother. Grateful to uh, be here, man. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, I'm excited to chat with you. I did your podcast. I guess it's been a couple of years now, and I really enjoyed our conversation. I think you're a great guy. I think you've overcome a lot, and you're doing a lot to give back and to help other people, specifically people who are struggling with porn addiction. And I think this is something that a lot of people struggle with today. They struggle in silence. Um, a lot of people are ashamed to admit that they have an addiction to porn because of the stigma around it. But my first question to you is this, is that if there's somebody who's listening to this who has a spouse or a kid who is addicted to porn potentially, what are like three to five steps they can do like right now to help them break free from porn addiction? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, Doug, great, great question. And yeah, we had an amazing conversation a couple of years ago and it's been a real pleasure, man, to watch you grow and really get this message out there, man. I've been a, been a huge fan and really, really looking forward to this. So yeah, man, you know, first couple steps, you know, so I wrote a book called The Seven Step Guide to Living Life Without Porn, which, you know, anybody can get for free if they want that. But you said it in the setup, right? You know, most people won't be willing to admit that there is an actual problem in their life. So that first step must be an acceptance and admittance of the actual problem. You know, this is with any addiction, right? I know your story that you've had to overcome a lot. And if you walk into a 12 steps group, like, you know, the first step of their 
philosophy is going to be to acknowledge and surrender that the addiction got control of you. Now, what I don't buy into from their philosophy is that you need to admit that to yourself every single day. I think that's holding on to a limiting identity. But if you've identified that is in the problem, you must actually accept where you are. Yes, you must admit to yourself that you have a problem with pornography. That is something that you're going to have to work through. Now, the second step I think there, Doug, once you've admitted it to yourself, is you want to recruit some type of accountability. So you need to find the right person in your life, whether it's a coach, mentor, therapist, pastor, big brother, uncle, father type figure in your life that you can then go admit it to them. So admit it to yourself first. That's the acceptance of what's going on and then admit it to somebody else. So that's the recruitment of the accountability. And in that conversation with the other person, devise a plan, you know, build a regular cadence with this individual of how often can I check in with you? If I call you and I'm feeling urge and triggered, will you be willing and able to have a conversation with me. So I think those are the first two most important steps is you must accept where you are in life and then you must admit it. So you must get some of this off of yourself because a lot of men that are struggling with pornography addiction, the reason they won't admit it is because they're living in shame. And shame is them telling themselves that they're a bad person. If we're unwilling to talk about what we're doing in our life is because we see ourselves in a negative lens. So oftentimes that first conversation with another person, this was my story and this happens with a lot of the men on our first call in our group coaching. When they begin to open up with other people, this weight is lifted off of them. It's almost like that shame that they've been living in for sometimes decades is starting to go away. Now that's not the only thing, but I think those are the two most important first steps is accept and acknowledge it in yourself first and then find somebody in your world. You know, And if you don't have that safe person in your world, this is where somebody like myself would come in or you find a pastor or you find a therapist, somebody that is gonna create a safe place for you because what you don't wanna happen is you don't wanna go into that first conversation with another person and then push back. Be like, oh dude, it's no big deal, man. That's what every guy does, right? And that's what a lot of us think when we're caught up in this. Oh, this is just something that every single guy does. But if you've recognized that it is a problem and it is holding you back and there are negative consequences in your life, admitting it, and then finding that right person, the person that you can entrust in and is going to provide a safe place for you to have the real open, honest conversation. Love that. Those are such important steps, I think, to break free from any addiction is number one, like the self-acceptance and accountability, knowing that you have a problem. And number two, like reaching out and asking for help and accepting the fact that you are not alone in this process of recovery. And I definitely want to continue on these steps to help recover from porn addiction. But first, I want to go back to you, Frank, because I know part of why you're so passionate about this is because of your own personal story and your relationship with porn through the years. And I know that you first discovered porn. I, guess, I think you were around like five, six years old or something like that when you were a kid. Walk the listeners through that journey of the, the first time you found this pornographic magazine, what was going through your head at this time, and then how that played out not only for you as a kid, but into your adulthood and how that impacted your relationships, how that impacted your career, and then ultimately what led you to seeking recovery. I think two things came out of that first interaction, right? So yeah, you hit it right on the head. I believe I was around six years old at the time. And for a little bit of context for these people, so I'm 39 now, so that was 33 plus years ago. So the pornography that I came across wasn't today's internet streaming pornography, which hopefully can I get into that conversation for the parents out there. But yeah, I was nosy kid, you know, scrounging through dad's stuff and ended up coming across, you know, what at the time I believe was something like 
regards to like a Hustler magazine. So it was pretty intense graphic stuff. Two things I remember from that though is A, number one, like the feeling of the curiosity, right? Like I'd seen, you know, I'd seen bodies before. I'd, you know, you see your mom, you see girls in bathing suits. Why did this body though make me feel a little bit different? So there's a curiosity component, which makes you want to go see it again, right? Which And that kind of begins the like, I'm going to go start to seek this thing out. The second thing, Doug, and I think that this played a very instrumental role for the next 25 years of my life is the fact that I found something that my dad was keeping as a secret. Found it that he was keeping it from us, right? He hid this from my mom. He hid this from us. What this taught a young boy is it's okay to have secrets in your life. It's okay to have part of your life that you do not share with other people. And this became something that I carried with me all the way through my entire life up until the point I was 35 years old. And I began to get radically honest with everybody in my life. So not to make this too long winded, but yeah, I, you know, carried that with me, you know, through high school. And it was around 15, 16 years old when we got the internet for the first time. So was it really a, a massive struggle for me as a boy? No, because I didn't really have access to it. But the minute we got the internet, it was like, okay, are there naked pictures on the internet? And this is like the dial-up days, man. I remember it almost vividly. I mean, within an hour of having a computer in my bedroom or in the spare bedroom at the time, like I was pulling up, you know, I was in chat rooms and I was swapping photos with people. Now back then it obviously wasn't high speed internet. So it may take an hour to download an entire photo. I would say it probably really became a problem though. But here's the interesting though, cause I do wanna, I do wanna share something else there though. So through school, through high school, I mean, I was a great student. I was a great athlete. You know, I varsityed in multiple sports in high school. So that was the one side of me, but I was also like a very, I don't want to say destructive kid, but I had a secondary life, right? Remember, because I learned at six that it's okay to have secrets. So while I was a great student, like I was getting recognized for sports and recognized for grades, I was also partying a lot and I was also selling drugs to kids in high school that nobody knew about. There's kind of these two separate worlds and that carried with me all the way through my 20s and into my 30s. When it really became a problem though, Doug, was probably in my early 20s. So I was working in the wireless industry at the time. So I was, you know, we had access. I was one of the early adopters of a BlackBerry smartphone, which for the young kids out there, the BlackBerry was the original iPhone that's in your pocket. We probably wouldn't have iPhones if RIM wasn't around back in the early 2000s. But it was just like the computer in my bedroom, right? It was like, now I had the internet in my pocket is there porn on this thing? And as somebody that worked in a remote type of job where I was traveling through malls down in South Florida, I could watch it really anytime I want. I could go out into the car, I could go into you know department stores and consume it. Now, the interesting thing though, Doug, is throughout my 20s, while I was struggling, while I was consuming pornography in public places, I would avoid social situations. I never really looked at it as a major problem. And I think a lot of that was due to some of the success that I was having in the world, some of the success I was having in business, some of the success I was having in corporate America, or even in my bodybuilding career. It's like, how could I have an addiction if I'm out there chasing and achieving all these things? What I wasn't able to connect the dots though is yeah, on the outside, I looked like material success was happening, but on the inside is I was dead. I was unhappy, it was dark, depression, anxiety, always needing to seek other things to try to fill me up. Fast forward, man, you know, if we get into my mid thirties at this point, had had a couple business successes, had had some failures as well. And I was ready to get into kind of the online fitness space, which is really what I'm doing here today with, with our company. So in 2017, I joined a business mastermind and this was with Vince Del Monte, who I'm still a part of that mastermind here today. But 
what came out of that was obviously a lot of great business networking, a lot of great business insights and skills and tactics that have made me a lot of money over the last five years. More importantly, though, the relationships that were formed and built outside of that. So I got connected with some really great, strong, influential men, these men that were faith-filled first. You know, they were out there living for God first in their life, but then producing massive impact out in the world. These men accepted me. And I think for me, it was something that I'd been looking for for a really long time. You know, not coming from the greatest home, having a broken home when I was 15. It's like, here are these men that like, they're living the right way. So at the end of 2018, I gave my life to Christ, Doug, and that became a big part for me. And it was over the course of the next couple of months that I really began to evaluate like choices and decisions that, that I was making. As a clock turned into New Year's of 2019, decided I was going to go a year without drinking alcohol. Not because I thought I was an alcoholic, but because I did use alcohol sometimes as an escape outlet. And that was an amazing you know, decision that I made in January of that year. If we speed up to Valentine's Day, so this is a month and a half into January. I'd been taking part in the carnivore diet. I had a massive transformation physically in the month of January. I'm sitting in a car on Valentine's Day with somebody of that year, February 14th, 2019. And out of the blue, my friend Zach, who's a Marine, very strong alpha type of guy, somebody I hold a massive amount of respect for, starts talking about some Wim Hof breathing exercises that he's been doing and how it's helping him harness his sexual energy. But more importantly, it's helping him stay away from porn. And I paused him for a moment because I'd never had a conversation with another man about his use of pornography. I said, what are you talking about there, Zach? I said, dude, you have no idea. He's like, I've had this porn addiction for years. I struggled with it when I was in Iraq. I haven't been able to kick it since I've been back home. But these breathing exercises are really helping me. And it was almost like... For that, I felt like that was my sign, that I needed to talk about this thing that I'd been living with for 20 years. So right there in the car that day, Doug, I'm like, Zach, I don't know why you felt the need to share that with me, but I wanna thank you because there's something I've been holding on for years, there's something I've been keeping a secret from the woman that was in my life at the time for years. And I think by you sharing that, it's given me the opportunity. So I shared it all with Zach. I said, dude, I've been struggling with this thing for years. I've been looking into the brain science. I've been reading your brain on porn. I've been watching Gary Wilson's talk. I've understand that this has a massive impact on my brain. And this is probably the cause of a lot of the problems in my life. So I wanted to thank you, Zach, for sharing that. And also want to let you know, man, that I'm done. Like I felt convicted that day and I felt convinced that I was ready to get out of my life forever. So I said, Zach, I'm, I'm ready, man. Like, but here's two things need to happen is I need you to hold me accountable. So when I talked about, I admitted it to myself and I admitted it to another person at the beginning, there it is in my story, right? And he was all on board, man. He said, whatever you need, like I'm here for you. You are my brother. We're going to win this thing together. The second thing is I was in a long-term relationship at the time. She needed to know the truth because at that point I did see a potential future with us, but I wasn't willing to go into that future with her not knowing the truth about who I was. So the next day when I was home with Stephanie, I walked into the room where she was getting ready. I'd had a secret laptop, Doug, like literally, like the only point for that laptop was for me to watch pornography. When I wasn't watching pornography and other people were home, it stayed in the closet. The minute Stephanie left the house, I would pull it out. So I walked into the room where she was getting ready that morning and I said, hey Steph, like there's something I need to share with you. She gave me this strange look like, what is the laptop? I said, don't worry about it, I'll, I'll get to that. And just like I unloaded everything on Zach, I literally unloaded everything on her that morning. 
I'm like, I know you probably know that I watch it. You know, I've asked you if you wanted to watch it with me before, which is a big sign, ladies. If your man is asking you to watch pornography, there's probably a big problem there. So I was sharing all this with her and I said, I want you to know that I'm committed to getting that, this out of my life. And I'm so committed that I'm gonna destroy this laptop, which was the only place that I was watching pornography for the handful of years. And I remember it, Doug, like, it sounds cool when I tell a story that I, you know, just ripped a laptop apart with two hands because I literally took it there in two pieces and like, tore it down the middle, but laptops are made in two pieces. So it's really made to be broken. That way it just sounds really cool to say you ripped a laptop apart with your bare hands. But that was it, man. February 14th of 2019, you know, I came face to face with a 20 year addiction. Now it wasn't easy the next couple months. I had incredible support. I had an amazing community of men around me. One thing that I think played a massive role in my success was through those first couple of months, is I was talking about it. I was talking about it with every single person that would be willing to listen. I'm literally scheduling Zoom meetings with people that are on the other side of the country. I'm like, hey man, I know you've known me for like 20 years, but here's what's going on, dude. I've been addicted to porn the entire time you know me, but it feels good because I finally got it out of my life. And I just started having conversations, almost to the point where it's like, it almost became silly that I was just so open to talking about it. But my life was changing day by day, minute by minute. Every time I talked about it with somebody else and they accepted me for who I was and they didn't throw guilt or shame or any negativity towards me. It's like I got lighter and lighter and lighter and lighter. So my world radically changed, man, over the course of the next couple of months, coming from somebody that had made hundreds of thousands of dollars in his business. I mean, we had companies that did millions of dollars in sales. You know, I'd achieved quite a bit in bodybuilding. I had, you know, gained a lot of material possessions. I felt like for the first time though, Doug, in 2019, I was living and experienced life in the way that we were meant to. And it's all because my brain was resetting. I was beginning to see people for people, no longer sexual objects for my own pleasure anymore. So that led me to you know, launching a podcast later that summer, which was The Superhuman Life, which was really about you know, me putting my story and bringing other people like you on. You know, you were, I think you were one of the first 20 episodes that we did. So it was really about sharing other people's messages and then that led us to, you know, six, eight months later, getting a lot of messages from men. Hey, can you help us? We launched another company out of it. That's been the primary focus. But yeah, that was my story, man. You know, 20 plus years of battling with it. Not really sure of what was going on, but radical responsibility, incredible community, incredible support, and the willingness to face this thing front on was really, you know, the path that I took to get here today. Congrats, man. You're coming up on four years here soon. And thanks for being so open and honest and for sharing everything. I want to get more into your recovery story and then talk more about some of the other things people can do outside of not only admitting it to themselves, but admitting it to somebody else to efficiently recover from porn addiction. You talked about like there was times in your life where you were a little unhappy, you were unfulfilled. You talked about like how things weren't perfect or how you had expected them to be at certain moments, right? I want to talk about in what ways did porn negatively like impact your life? Because, you know, people I think recreationally can use things like porn and alcohol and other substances and be fine because, you know, there's not these adverse consequences sometimes that show up in their lives. So what were some of these negative consequences throughout your life that came as a result of your porn addiction that really led you to take a hard look at yourself in the mirror and stop? We will get you back to this episode of the Adversity Advantage in just one second. But first, wanted to give a quick shout out to Danette May and Earth Echo Foods. Danette was a past guest on the podcast and shared her incredible story and how it inspired her to create her products such as Cacao Bliss, which I have been using for quite some time now. Lately, I have been trying to use it as an alternative to coffee as I am trying to cut back. I can say I think it might be working. 
Using it can be as simple as adding it to a smoothie or mixing it with water or your favorite nut milk. Cacao Bliss starts with 100% organic cacao beans that are naturally kissed by the sun, maintaining its miraculous health benefits. Then it's blended with turmeric, MCT oil, coconut, Himalayan sea salt, cinnamon, and black pepper for the perfect blend to make you feel the best you ever have. Not only that, it is friendly to keto, gluten-free, paleo, vegan, and vegetarian diets. So go to earthechofoods.com slash Doug Again, it's earthechofoods.com slash Doug to check it out and learn more about the amazing benefits of Cacao Bliss. And when you enter in the promo code Doug at checkout, you'll get 15% off. Now back to the show. Yeah, I think for me, it was seeing the impact that it was having on my brain. Like I'm a guy, like I like data. Like I, I like to look at science. Like I can understand what is actually happening. So the whole journey started for me when I heard another podcast with two men, Michael John Cusick, who's the author of Surfing for God, and then one of my personal mentors. They talked about it on a podcast. And that was the first time I had heard men openly discuss it in an open forum. And I think they had mentioned a couple TED Talks and a couple books on that podcast. So I went and watched those TED Talks and I went and ordered those books and read them. And when I began to realize like how it was hijacking the dopamine reward center, how it was creating this false sense of motivation of seeking pornography. So during my life, like I wasn't connecting the dots, like you're depressed because of porn. You know, you have erectile dysfunction because of pornography. Like I didn't connect any of those dots because there wasn't a whole lot of conversation in the early 2000s. There wasn't a lot of conversation even in the early teens of the 2000s. This has really become, you know, more of an accepted conversation we're in the last three years. And I do believe I've been at kind of, you know, one of the leaders in having those, those conversations. But if I look back, man, you know, it was really hearing other men talk about it and then looking into it myself. So when I read Gary Wilson's Your Brain on Porn, it was like, oh, motivation, hijacked, dopamine, all this is going on. It's creating these false senses of pleasure. This is why you're not getting joy out of these things that you used to be excited about and why you're always needing to end your day with pornography. Or if you feel down, like, why do you run to pornography when there's so many other things? So it was really a very rational understanding of like what was actually happening in my brain that led me into seeking the path to recovery. And you mentioned how it's hijacked your brain. And I'm sure obviously it hijacks the brains of many people that are addicted to pornography. You said that motivation can be decreased. You mentioned that you lose joy and meaning in some of the things that you used to really enjoy in life. Like, What are some of the other things that can happen, some of the signs that you might be addicted to something like pornography, aside from the fact that you're just using it you know, every single day? Yeah, well, I think that's a big indicator, right? If you can't go without something, like if that's prevalent in your life, like you don't need another indicator. Like there is your sign. Like if you can't go without something, if your first thought when you're stressed is I need to release, you know, if your first thought when you see a beautiful woman is you undress her and inject yourself into a fantasy with her, probably a big sign there as well. If you're struggling sexually, like if you're in your 20s and you have what's now been accepted as PIED, porn-induced erectile dysfunction, there's a sign. No man in his 20s should be having erectile dysfunction. This is a problem, should be with men in their 40s, 50s with declining testosterone, not because they've had a thousand sexual releases to porn before ever actually having a sexual act. So if you struggle with motivation, if you struggle with erectile dysfunction, if you, every time you see or think of a woman, your first thought is to undress her, your first thought is in some sexual nature, 
probably a really big sign. But I think the biggest one, you said it, man, if you can't go without something, there's your sign. And so what about from a performance standpoint? Have you found that with the men that you're coaching or even in your own personal experience that the ability to focus and, and be task-oriented and stay disciplined to other areas of their life is impacted by how much they watch porn? 100%, man. I mean, what, what I've been able to produce and create over the last three years in the past would have taken me more than a decade to do. So yeah, just a level of focus, creativity, you know, cause that's the thing, man, you know, that is the men's, like the sexual energy is the creative force for the world. It's either gonna be used to create another human being or harness transmuted to create something good for the world. Napoleon Hill talked about this in Think Grow Rich. I think it's chapter 12. And here's the thing, Doug, I had read that book for like six years consecutively before I actually understood what he was talking about. But when I got on the other side of this thing, it's like, oh yeah, when you're not masturbating every single day and you're not releasing your, your male juice, like you can use that for creation of good. You can use that to launch a podcast, right? And create massive impact in the world. You can launch other businesses. You know, in 2019, I was very fortunate. I was brought into a marketing agency to help them launch it. I had had, like I talked about, I had a couple different businesses, you know, in the, in the teens between 2013 and 2018. One of them got shut down at the end of 2018. So in 2019, when all this happened, like I didn't have a lot really going on. I had my fitness business, which was doing a little bit, but it didn't require a whole lot of, a whole lot of work. So being recruited into this marketing agency, which was in a grow and scale mode was like very good for me at the time because it was like, here I am, I'm managing a global team of 60 people. Like I'm on Slack 80 hours a week, like, but it gave me focus and tension and purpose to really give myself into. But yeah, for me, I mean, obviously, like I said, you know, I've been able to produce more in the last three years than, than I did in the decade prior to that. But a lot of the you know, same thing happens with our men, you know, these guys, they get promotions, they get on purpose. We've had multiple businesses launched during our programs. The relationships are obviously key as well. But yeah, from the performance standpoint, absolutely. I mean, it's it's just focus, creativity, the ability to stay on task, oriented, and so forth. Because you're not constantly seeking, like I don't need a new stimulus, right? It's like I can focus in on what is going on. I can be present in the moment. And when you're present in a moment, that's when you're operating at the highest level of performance, I think. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I want to go back to like the in-between. We've kind of touched on at the beginning of our conversation, the first few steps in helping to recover from porn addiction. You shared what, what helped you. You talked about like admitting it to yourself and then admitting it to your friend, Zach. And then now we've gotten into like what you've been able to achieve and what others have been able to achieve as a result of recovering from porn addiction. So I would imagine the next few steps of this process, they probably involve like unlearning some of these unhealthy patterns and, and doing what you can to rewire your brain. What are some of the, the things or some of the steps that you've done personally or that you help coach your men in your coaching program to do so that they can essentially like create new neural pathways and help create new healthy habits and patterns? Yeah, well, it's starting back again at that acceptance, right? Of this is where I am. And what we must also understand in that acceptance of realizing there's an addiction, we must also understand that it's actually not porn that is the problem. The problem lies within us. So the path to changing it is not by fixing porn or eliminating porn. It's by changing us from the inside out. So you talked about, you know, rewriting 
or recreating some of these neural pathways. So if we're coming at it from that perspective, right? It's like, I don't have a pornography problem. I have a problem with myself, my inability to maybe self-regulate in certain moments. Then that puts us in an empowering position to change us and in changing us, we eliminate the problem with pornography. So once we have identified that this is my starting point, what we do with our men is we help them cast a vision for their life without pornography. If we've been living in this type of life with these habits, this addiction, these struggles for this long, we've created that as our identity. That's how we see ourselves. And that is the identity that which we see the world through. So in order to change that, because what we say is the only way to overcome a pornography addiction for good is to become the man that is no longer addicted to porn. And I put a lot of emphasis on that word become, because I think more than anything, if you want to put a label of addiction, recovery coach, men's health coach, podcast, I believe I'm an identity change expert. I help men create a new identity for themselves and then step into that new identity without pornography. So if we're going to succeed in doing that, though, we must have a clear vision of what that is going to look like for us in our lives. So we have a very thorough process that we walk these men through of how to paint a clear vision for the life that you want to live without pornography. So if porn has impacted your ability to create meaningful relationships, let's get a clear vision of the life and the relationships that you want in the future. If pornography has impacted your ability to maybe show up at work and stay on task and stay focused and oriented, you're not producing the level of income that you want. Let's paint a vision for your life in the future producing that level of income. What type of job, what type of skill sets must you acquire? Maybe porn has had a big impact on your physical health. You're fat, lazy, and out of shape. Well, let's paint a vision for your life in the future as the healthy, fit person that you want to be. So this now gives us an aim that we work towards and it really becomes our guiding light for every choice and decision that we make. Because if you're going to change your behavior, you must have something that you're working towards because eating a cookie would be really, really good. But if I'm working towards having a six pack, then eating a cookie doesn't align with what I want out of life. So if we know what we want out of life, it's a lot easier to make choices and decisions on a daily basis that are in alignment with those. So the next step in there, Doug, like I said, would be to paint a big, clear vision for your life. Now you gotta break that vision down though into an actionable plan. So that would be the next step you would walk through. So, okay, so if I know that in five years, I wanna be, you know, I wanna have six pack abs, I wanna be making $100,000, I want to have, you know, deep, meaningful relationships. Well, where am I inefficient in my ability to maybe produce some of those outcomes? Do I possess, you know, six figure income skills or do I need to go acquire some new skills? So we break it down into a tangible way that we can now start working on things. And here's the thing with dopamine. I know you've had some amazing neuroscientists on your podcast. So I don't want to sound like I'm competing with any of them in terms of intelligence or understanding of how it works, but I've spoken with many of the same neuroscientists as well. So there's an element of motivation that's tied to dopamine, right? So if, we, if we're seeking porn because it gives us hits of dopamine, that means that in that act of seeking, well, if we create very tangible goals in our life, fitness goals, financial goals, relationship goals, family goals, service goals in our community, and then take small daily steps every single day, we will get small hits of dopamine. Not as big as pornography would give you, but small hits stacked up over time, compounded in alignment with who you wanna be, is the effective way to fully reboot and reset the neural pathways within your brain. I wanna dive into to something that I think is really important, and it's it's in line with what you just said. And I, I love how you talked about that you help people, and even you you yourself, like you change your identity and create a vision for who you want to become, who you want to become in a relationship, who you want to become as far as your career, who you want to become as far as your physical health. 
But I think that one of the things that I think has to be done, and I'm sure that you do this, is you have to like reestablish like love with yourself and really do a lot of deep inner work so that these relationships, even things like fitness and money, don't become like another god like porn was, you know, for some of these men. What are some of the steps that you help people take to help them do some of the inner work so that they can, you know, overcome some of the shame, the judgment, a lot of the resentment and hate that these men may have? you know, towards some of these choices that they've made in the past? Well, number one is provide a safe place and community for these men to have real, raw, honest conversations. A lot of these men, this is the first time that they've been around other men. They're going to accept them for who they are. They don't need to put out a front, right? They don't need to project themselves to be better than they are because we're all collectively here for the same thing. So a lot of that guilt and shame removal is done just through the act of having real, open, raw conversations. Now I'm a coach. I'm a coach by nature. It's literally on the back of my shirt. You can see it, right? So it says Coach Frank. That is the identity that I hold is I am a coach. So I'm going to coach and challenge these people. So I wouldn't use self-love. That's not my language. I think there's self-care. But I think what these guys are ultimately needing and seeking is more confidence and belief in themselves. Because most of the men that are struggling with pornography addiction have tried to quit before. They've been at that point where they just got finished with with watching porn and masturbating. And they're like, God, why did I do this again? Like, you know, they beat themselves up. There's a lot of self-hate directed towards them. And that self-hate is creating a lack of belief and confidence that, yeah, this is going to be the time. So a lot of our work is centered around building up the confidence and building up the belief. But belief and confidence in yourself is built and kept by keeping the promises you make to yourself. So we take it very simple, like stop hitting snooze. Like not hitting snooze is an act of self-love because it's you telling yourself that your day is so important that snoozing for another five minutes, laying in the warm, cozy couch or warm, cozy bed isn't as important or isn't as good for you as getting out and chasing your dreams. And when you begin to set an alarm and then wake up every day at the time of that alarm, that begins to build self-confidence, right? Because it's keeping the promises you make to yourself. Then make your bed. It's like, hey, we're actually going to take two minutes of our day to create a nice warming environment for us to return to after the end of the day, right? So it's these little daily habits. It's getting into a gratitude practice. It's spending some time every evening. We have a journaling exercise at the end of the day where simply all I want the men to do is spend some time in a journal. Think about what you've been thinking about. So we have all these thousands of thoughts, 12,000, 60,000 thoughts. I don't know what the exact number is, but a lot of these thoughts that are constantly coming into us throughout the day, we don't stop and pay any attention to those. And when you begin to go through this practice, you realize like I'm thinking the same things every single day. Well, there's probably a lesson inside of that or something you need to learn about yourself. So a big one for us is our evening drilling exercise. But I think quitting porn in and of itself is a great act of self-care and self-love, especially if you've been battling with it or you've been recognizing it that it is a problem. Just the act of beginning to work towards it is you subconsciously telling yourself, hey, you actually care about the outcome of your life and you're willing to work through these things. So I think a lot of these things happen by taking action. 
So when you begin to take action towards becoming that person, that is the act of self-love that you need. You don't need a deep session of therapy. Some of the men seek it, but I'm not the therapist. And I think therapy and coaching are two different paths that people can go. I will support guys if they're seeking therapy, if there is massive trauma in their life, if there's massive healing that needs to take place. But a problem I do see, Doug, though, is too many people try to live in guilt or try to live in the trauma from their past. Oh, this happened to me when I was six years old. So this is the reason I'm living today, living the way that I am today. And I'm not the one that's going to help them process that, that I would point them to a therapist. But I think a lot of times when you begin to take steps towards becoming the person that you ultimately want to be, you realize that it's you've been holding on to these things as a victim more than anything. And you will not transcend a pornography addiction living as a victim. I agree with you. I think so many times people like become addicted to healing their past. They get addicted to just looking at their past and then essentially using that as an excuse to not change who they are because they think that they're going to be that way forever. And I love how you said that it's important to rebuild your self-confidence and self-belief. I mean, that's pretty much what I was getting at is how do you help get these men to a place to where they're not just, you know, seeking external validation from some of these other things that they might be, be aiming towards as they're trying to rebuild their lives. I want to talk about intimacy. Well, real quick, Doug, real quick, Doug, because I think I think social media has created an environment for people where being a victim is accepted and it's okay. Like, I'm sure you know some of these people or you at least see them all the time on social media. It's like everything they go and talk about is like, poor me, poor me, poor me. And then they get the dopamine hits because people are, are liking and commenting on it. So it's like they're reinforcing like that this is actually what people want to hear from me. And it's like, hey, it happened. 20 years ago, do something about it today by taking an action towards who it is you want to become. So yeah, that's something that I'm big on, man, is I think people get caught up in this, like these things happen to me. And like I said, the social media and even some podcasts have just created an environment where it's like, yeah, bring that stuff over here. We're going to, you know, we're going to make you feel all warm and fuzzy. Yeah. And trust me, I do know that some people have had some horrible, horrible things. I'm not discrediting any of that, but I think most of the trauma air quoting that, that people are trying to process or trying to share with social media. It's like, dude, that happened to all of us. If you're a grown adult living in the world today, you have trauma from your past. Get over it, move on and start taking action on who it is you actually want to become. Right. I agree. I think there is a probably a healthy amount of time you can spend, right? Like looking at some of the stuff that has influenced you know, some of your current behaviors, but I think you have to continue to move forward and you can't continue to blame, you know, people in your past, things in your past, like how you grew up for how you're behaving today. Cause that's the thing. I think it's easy for people to use their circumstances and what happened to them as an excuse to behave in whatever way they want, because they can always just point back to that one thing. Right. And I think that's where people get into trouble, right? Like you said, like you're not discrediting some horrific things that have happened to people, However, what you're also saying is, you know, your life isn't get any better until you decide to do the work to help move forward, right? In a way that's- Yeah, and you're not gonna be able to go back in time. You know, none of us are Marty McFly. You know, we're not getting into DeLorean and going back in time and changing what happened in our past. So the question here that we are presented with is, how must we perceive past event to empower us to become the person that we need to be in the future to not allow that to happen again? 
So it's a matter of, of reframing your perception of what actually happened to you. You know, I've had a lot of conversations with some amazing trauma experts on the show, and all of them point back to the same unifying thing. Your trauma oftentimes is going to lead you to your greatest calling in life, right? Your trauma of getting addicted to drugs and getting arrested and having to go to prison has set you up to be the catalyst for the biggest thing in your life, which is your mission with the Adversity Advantage podcast. My trauma of being exposed to pornography at six years old and learning that's okay to have secrets set me up now to be in a position where I can speak into men. I can recognize patterns of behavior in men because I've had to walk this journey out all in of myself first. So yeah, a lot of times we're looking at the trauma to create the victim when in reality, the trauma should create the empowering position within us to then go tackle the world and use that for a source of good instead of using it as a label over us. I want to go back into your story for a second, because I think one of the things that porn can do is it can impact our ability to have intimacy and have intimate relationships. How did that play out in your life? And what were some of the things that you did to be aware of that so that now you can work towards a path of having some deep, meaningful relationships again with women? Yeah, man. Well, that's been a tough one for me, right? Because, you know, I got introduced to Rob very early on in my journey, your friend Rob, and giving my life to Christ also, you know, made me realize that I was was not really living the right life. So for me, I talked about Stephanie. You know, she was somebody that I'd been with for three and a half years prior to deciding to quit porn. That relationship lasted about another year, year and a half. And then we'd realize like we just weren't made for each other. And I've pointed this at probably like there were parts of me and the character that I was presenting, right? Because for a long time, Frank presented a character to the world, not who he really was, that she fell in love with that character and didn't really like the real Frank. And I've grown to accept that. But what it impacted me, man, is I would watch porn. If I knew I was going to have sex with a woman, like through my 20s and 30s, I would watch porn early on in that day, almost like prime myself. It's like, why? I'm gonna go get the real thing. Why do I need this? But it was almost like this was the way that I needed to get myself warmed up and ready to be able to, to perform. But that's not your question. Your question was around intimacy. Sex and intimacy are not the same thing. Sex is a form of intimacy, but it's not all that it is. I will tell you, relationship with men have transformed more than anything. Real intimate relationships with the men in my life. You know, it was towards the end of 2018 that who's become my best friend and he's really become my spiritual mentor. We were on a call. It was probably probably right after or before I gave my life. I don't remember the exact date, but we were on a phone call. Josh lives up in Pennsylvania. And I remember that call ended and he's like, I love you, bro. And we hung up real quick. Like he said it so quickly, I didn't have a, I didn't have a way to respond back to him. And I thought about it. I was like, did he just tell me he loves me? And I texted him. I was like, bro, don't ever tell me you love me. Again, it was almost like weird. It almost made me feel squishy inside. Not squishy, but like, ew. Like, like, why would a man tell me he loves me? Like, that's like, you love women, right? Like, this is an ego of a man that is like, no, I can't, I can't accept that from a man. But when I got on the other side of this thing, man, I talked about the role that the men have played in my life. Seeing people for people for the first time. Like, I tell every guy now, like, I'm going to tell you at the end of, you know, today that I love you, Doug, and I'm going to mean it. So for me, that's been the biggest change is the ability to accept real men into your life and have real meaningful relationships, not surface level stuff, not, oh, who won the game, not what chick are you sleeping with? It's like the deep, meaningful conversations about life, about purpose, about meaning, about all these things that we are here for has been the biggest change for me. But it's just the acceptance of all people, man. It's like porn makes people objects. 
in your life. You literally seek out other human beings on a screen, use them as objects together to create pleasure for yourself. So when you stop that behavior and you stop seeing people as objects, you just see humans for humans. And there's good in everybody, there's bad in everybody, there's ways that they can help and serve you, and there's always ways that you can help and serve other people. So I haven't really experienced a lot of intimacy in my own personal dating life, so that's why something I don't speak to or from personally there, because it's been a three and a half year journey of me discovering myself, getting healed, getting recovered, and focusing on the businesses. You know, I haven't really explored dating or relationships a whole lot. Thanks for being open and honest, man, about like how porn impacted your last relationship and how you used your recovery from porn to transform the relationships with these meaningful men that you surround yourself with in your life. And then also kind of being honest about where you're at right now with dating. As far as like, you know, getting attention from women or looking at women a certain way, do you find yourself still struggling like with that part? I mean, I know you're not watching porn, but do you still like seek, you know, attention from girls and trying to get these small wins? Or have you really honed in on being able to harness that energy as well? Yeah, man, I shut off the need for attention from women for a very, very long time. This is a tough one, man. Like, God, you know, like I never struggled with dating women. Like that wasn't a big challenge, even in a pornography addiction. Like once I got close to women, like I would put fronts up, but in the initial like attraction phase, like that was never really a massive, massive struggle. But honestly, Doug, for like three years, I completely shut off the need for any of that. Like I kind of lived in monk mode. So I'm not the greatest person to maybe speak from this, you know, from real experience because I was just focused and disciplined. It was like, dude, I had women like literally like in my apartment complex where I used to live, like just throw themselves at me. I was like, I don't want anything to do with it. My friends, like once they found out I was single and like back on the market, oh, I so-and-so wants to meet you. Uh, I'm not, not interested. Like I was so focused, so clear on the direction for my life and harnessing all this energy to produce good for the world that it never really became an issue for me. Now with the, with like the eyes gazing and stuff like that, a big issue for me was that I was in the fitness industry. So gyms were very, very triggering for me. But one decision that I was somewhat forced into making, but carried for a whole lot longer was I took almost all of 2019 off of the gym. I'd broken my hands, which was the initial reason why, but that was only going to be six weeks. But I decided that it was just something that I wasn't willing to put myself back into those environments. Now, what's interesting is, you know, I, I live in Tampa, Florida. So we have some amazing gyms. It's a hotbed for fitness. I actually had somebody about a year ago come up to me at the gym. So one of the gyms that I trained at, Powerhouse here in Tampa, massive gym, a lot of fitness influencers and celebrities come through there. Beautiful women all the time with the pants now that are, you know, literally made to like emphasize the woman's butt. Like, and I had a guy come up to me and he's like, Frank, how do you do it? He's like, I've been watching you for the last 20 minutes. There's been two dozen beautiful women that walked by you and your eyes didn't gaze on one of them. He's like, what are you doing? I was like, I just, I don't see that anymore. It's not something that is even there for me. It's like, it's been fully reset and rebooted once again, because when I see a woman now, I see a child of God. I see a daughter of the living King first. And I don't know anything about this woman. I don't know if she's married. I don't know if she's engaged. I don't know if she's dating. I don't know if she's married to my best friend. Like it's disrespectful to her, disrespectful to the man in her life, disrespectful to God. It's not honoring of God for me to gaze at these women and use them as a way to just fantasize in my own life. So yeah, 
I've lived in monk mode for a really long time. That's helped a lot. I really think it was going long enough without entertaining it and then being very intentional about how I see women. Now, I still to this day, like when I walk in the gym, like I say a quick prayer, you know, and I walk into public places, I say a quick prayer. Does that mean that I never have, you know, a slip or thought or anything? No, I still am a human being. But for the most part, I think the muck mode lifestyle has been very helpful for me. Yeah, it seems like it. it seems like that you your ability to seek solitude and really work on yourself and know your priorities and not give in to these temptations has really helped you develop into this this man that you always wanted to be. I want to talk about porn specifically because it does seem like more people today than I would guess like 20, 30 years ago are addicted to porn. It's more accessible. I think people are struggling more with their mental health. Like in your eyes, you see this day to day with a lot of the people that are coming to you. Like why is porn addiction so much more prevalent today than when it was say like 30 years ago? The internet. I mean, in, in, you know, in a simple answer, right? So, you know, I talk to a lot of young men, man. I mean, I get teenagers that reach out to me and I'm trying to figure out like how I can create a community or resources for kids. But here's the thing, man, is a 12, 13 year old boy today. So the average age of first exposure is 11 years old. And I think that number is drastically declining. But a 12 year old boy today in the matter of 15 to 20 minutes can look at and see more naked, beautiful women than a king did 100 years ago, or even yours and I grandfather, you know, 40 years ago. Think about that. A young boy at the age of 12 in the matter of 20 minutes can look at and see more beautiful naked women than our grandfathers or probably even our fathers would have done in their entire life. And oftentimes by the time they're having their first sexual experience, so we're talking, you know, maybe the boy's 18, 20, young man, you know, in his early 20s, by the time he's having his first sexual experience, he's had hundreds, if not thousands of sexual releases. So when we talk about why is it such a big problem, I mean, the internet is the obvious answer, right? You know, they talk about, so there's this organization called Fight the New Drug. And I don't know if they came up with the big 3A because I've seen it talked about in a lot of different places. But they have the accessibility component, right? The fact that literally every boy, every adult is walking around with an endless supply of pornography in their pocket 24 hours a day seven days a week. And I think 20% of the internet is pornography. I think 30% of daily searches are pornography. I may be a little bit off, but those statistics are close. So you have the accessibility. That makes it obviously massive prevalent today. Then you have the affordability component to it. When you were struggling with a drug addiction, like you needed resources to go get your drugs. Like crack kids get really good at coming up with $5 every day, but you need money, right? You don't need a single dollar and you could be consuming an infinite amount of pornography. So accessibility, the affordability, and then the anonymity component, right? When you were struggling with a drug addiction, there are probably at certain points in your journey and in your life, like people around you knew what was going on. Hey, Doug, he's looking a little bit differently today. Like he's not really taking care of his exterior. Like, you know, if you have alcohol addiction, like or if you're an alcoholic, like you're gonna smell it on somebody's breath. You could be struggling with a 20 year addiction and not a single person know about it because it's done in isolation. It doesn't require any resources and oftentimes it doesn't change your exterior. So the affordability component, the accessibility component, and the anonymity component are the three biggest reasons. But I think if you had to point to just one, Doug, it's obviously the internet, right? We literally are living through an experiment right now with the young, the, the minds and hearts and souls of our young men. Yeah. 
Man, those statistics are crazy. And I, I would also add that I think it's probably because it's so much easier to get addicted to porn. Like if you think about it back in the day, you had to like gather a few dollars, you had to like sneak into a convenience store somehow and get like a penthouse or a Playboy magazine or whatever it was. And you might do that maybe once a week, maybe twice a week, right? If you're lucky, right? Now it's like you can get it like within an instant, right? And you can keep getting it like an instant that your brain almost gets addicted to the instant gratification that we've talked about how these kinds of things can change your brain. Well, not only that, in the endless supply of novelty, right? You know, you steal a Hustler magazine from 7-Eleven, you know, maybe there's 40 images total in that magazine. You know, you got ads and you got writing and articles and whatever, but there's maybe 40 images. Like, could watch 4 million videos on just one tube site, watch 10 million more videos on another tube site. So there's this endless supply of novelty and the male's brain is wired for novelty. Anybody that wants to know about this, look at the Coolidge effect. Like there's something real about the man constantly seeking more novel stimulus than anything. So yeah, all those reasons, Doug. So in your opinion and through all your experience with your own addiction and also what you're doing now, like, do you believe that that porn is something that can be consumed in moderation? Like a lot of people, they drink alcohol in moderation. They might use things like cannabis in moderation. Their life isn't impacted. Like, what do you think about porn as it relates to that stuff? Yeah, man. I mean, you know, I'm torn on kind of two sides of this argument, so I'll share both of them, right? Do I believe that every person that watches pornography becomes addicted to it? No, right? You, you know, it's the same thing with, with any drug or any stimulus, you know? You know, you don't have to get addicted just by consuming something. Now, there is a part of me that sits on this side as well. Like, A number one, as a Christian, right? I think that it's just a sin to do this, but also because I've been exposed to the other side of porn. And I know what's happening to the performers. I know what's happening in terms of human trafficking. I understand what's taking place on the other side that I don't think that any man should. So although you may be able to watch pornography and not get addicted, I can't sit here and say that, yes, I'm okay with anybody looking at pornography because I know what is taking place on the other side. And also, man, I mean, you know, I come from a world of high performance. You know, I come from a world of, of peak performance, of wanting to be the best absolute possible version of yourself. And I think that's a lot of your audiences as well. And I know that's who you are. If ingesting this drug, if consuming this drug as pornography is going to lower my performance by half a percent, one percent, two percent because of the, how it impacts the brain, how it maybe changes our heart, how it maybe changes our mind or how we see people. If it doesn't turn the knob positive and it's even turning it negative half a percent or half a degree, then I don't think there's any place. But a big part of, of me as a man, because I'm involved in human trafficking organizations, anti-human trafficking organizations, I can't sit here and say, yeah, just go watch pornography and it's, it's going to be okay. But no, I don't believe that everybody that looks at it or everybody that does watch it becomes a porn addict. I think that there's progressions that you have to go to get there. Yeah, I like that answer. And thanks for sharing like what you're doing to be involved to combat things and also like being honest about like just you know, just being honest in the fact that you don't think that everybody who watches porn is necessarily an, an addict. Frank, man, this has been awesome. We have gone into to so much, including your story, tips and tactics on how to recover from porn addiction. We've talked in depth about the dangers of porn, how it changes the brain. And I think a lot of people are going to want to connect with you, whether that's on social media. Maybe there's somebody who's listening to this that's struggling with porn. They want to reach out or there's a parent that's listening that maybe their kid's been struggling or they, their spouse or whoever it is. Where can people you know, find out more about your work and connect with you on social media? 
Yeah, you could find out about me and connect with me at Coach Frank Rich on Instagram, Coach Frank Rich on YouTube. Those are our two biggest platforms right now. I'd also point you know this audience to the podcast it's at the Superhuman Life. We're on every platform. We've interviewed many of the same guests. We do a very similar style show where it's this long form kind of in depth interview where we've had conversations on what parents can do. We've had conversations. I had the porn addict's wife, Jolene Wynn. So we're going to be bringing it back in early 2023 for part two. So for the women out there, we have resources there. For a man that is struggling though and is like, okay, I'm ready to start taking some action. I mentioned I wrote a free ebook at the beginning. It's the seven step guide to living off of the porn. You guys can access that. You can download that for free at www.the7stepguide.com. But Coach Frank Rich on any platform is the best place to connect with me. Sweet, man. Well, I'll make sure to plug that stuff in the show notes. And for those listening, what I invite you to do is to share a takeaway. Maybe it was something that Frank said on the steps that you can take to break free from your porn addiction. Maybe it was something that he said about his own personal journey with porn and how it impacted his life. Maybe it was something that he said about how it changed the brain. Maybe it was something that he said on the importance of recreating a new version of yourself and changing your identity. Whatever it was, tag Frank, tag myself, because we'd love to hear your feedback. We once again thank you for listening to this episode of The Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and we'll see you next time.